Advanced First Sports Network listeners, welcome to another episode of The Call Sheet. This is your host, Kevin Smith. Happy to be with you again for episode number 26 of our little show. And happy to talk about some NFL football with you all. Week, week five's in the books. We're starting to see a little bit of separation between the best and the not not best, I think. I think you have the, the best and the not best in the NFL right now. You got a couple dogs at the bottom. There seem to be a few elite teams at the top, uh, a few teams at the bottom who who are, are true bottom feeders, so to speak, and then just the not best all gathered somewhere in the middle. Boy, the NFL loves its parody, and it's certainly getting it right now where it seems as though among the 32 NFL teams that probably 25 or 26 of them could all beat each other on any any given Sunday. So before we jump in, right, I mentioned it is episode number 26, and that means it's time to honor an NFL player who wore that jersey number. And I would not be a true and proper Pittsburgh Steelers fan if I didn't take the occasion to honor number 26, Rod Woodson, who who's near and dear to the fan bases of more than just the Steelers, but predominantly remembered as a Steeler. And it's interesting, Rod, Rod Woodson and I have a few things in common. First of all, his, his full name is Roderick Kevin Woodson, which gives us a Kevin attachment. Secondly, Rod Woodson grew up in Fort Wayne, Indiana, which, which could have been my home in a different world. Sometimes you look back on your life and you think, boy, what if, what if things had just gone slightly different, right? Slightly different in one way or another. I was born in Corpus Christi, Texas. And I know for those of you who listen to the show a lot, you know that I'm from New Jersey. I like to pump up the Jersey guys. Um, but yeah, I was born in Texas because my father was in the Navy. Uh, it was the Vietnam War. He was stationed in Corpus Christi as an officer there. And when it came time for him to be discharged, then my father had an opportunity to sort of pick where he, he, he was going to live, right? And the Navy gave him some opportunities, but he decided to, to venture out into the private sector. And he got an, a, a job offer to work for a company in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And it, it seemed as though that's where he'd be moving the family. And he went up to Fort Wayne to scout it out and get us an apartment and set up shop before he sent for me and my, and my mom. It was just the two of us at the time. My sister wasn't born yet. And a few, and a few days later, he came back. He just... He didn't like it. You know, my dad had grown up at the Jersey Shore. He'd always been around the water. Uh, Corpus Christi is on the, the Gulf of Mexico. He had the had the water there as well. And Indiana was just too landlocked for him. So we never made it. We never made it to Fort Wayne. And instead, we moved back to Jersey and I grew up at the Jersey Shore. So anyway, right, you know, hey, man, I, I don't know. I could have grown up in, in Rod Woodson's neighborhood. Who knows? Right. Um but you know, Rod Woodson went on to become a first-round pick of the Steelers in 1987 after attending Purdue University, earned a ton of accolades, Defensive Player of the Year in 1993, 11-time Pro Bowler, uh, was, was named to the NFL 100th anniversary uh, all-time team, which to me is a, probably a greater honor than the Hall of Fame. It's more exclusive. Of course, he was named to the Hall of Fame as well. But Rod, Rod Woodson, and Rod Woodson won a Super Bowl, but he didn't win that Super Bowl with the Pittsburgh Steelers. He played in a Super Bowl with the Steelers in 1995, which is a pretty awesome story because he blew out his, his ACL in the first game of the season against the Detroit Lions trying to tackle Barry Sanders. Barry Sanders is probably responsible for more than a few ACL and ankle injuries because of his moves. 
Uh, and, and it was just assumed that Rod Woodson's season was over at that point, but, but he made it back. The Steelers made it all the way to the Super Bowl, and Woodson made it back uh, and played in that Super Bowl contest. He actually became the first NFL player in history to play in a season in which he had also torn his ACL. It was really sort of like the beginning of that period where, where the science and the medicine was starting to catch up to the injuries a little bit, and recovery times were expediated. But he went on to win the Super Bowl uh, in 2001 with the Baltimore Ravens. And I got to say this, as a Steeler fan, you would think that it would, it would be very conflicting to see Rod Woodson win a Super Bowl in that purple uniform of Baltimore. But I was really thrilled for him. I mean, I, it's one of the few times I think in my life that I've been happy to see the Ravens win a game. And it was because of Rod Woodson. I, I loved him as a player. I had a ton of respect for him. I thought he was a very, very special individual, uh, and he and and for him to finally sort of reach the mountaintop, so to speak, as a, in a team accomplishment, was awesome. So shout out, obviously, here to number twenty six, Rod Woodson. All right, moving on. Right, I said that week five games are in the books, and in this segment, I'm going to give you what I call what I'm going to call one quick thought. Right, I'm going to give you one quick thought on every one of the games from the previous weekend, from, from game five or from week five. And we'll move really rapid fire through them all. Uh, and I'll hit on every game and just, just one thought on each game. So, so buckle up, man, rapid fire section coming at you right now. So one quick thought, Jags bills in London. Uh, my, you know, my quick thought there is that that was a setup game for Buffalo, right? They'd come off of the big win against Miami. And then they had to travel to London where, Jacksonville had been sitting there waiting after their previous week's game in London against Atlanta and a really tough one for, for the Buffalo bills as they lose to Jacksonville, Jacksonville's really become an international team. In some ways they played a bunch of games now in London. So that's a really tough one on the Bills' schedule. And I wouldn't read too much into that, into that loss as far as projecting Buffalo, Atlanta, Houston. I mean, Atlanta won the game, but for me, the takeaway is that C.J. Stroud, the rookie quarterback in Houston, has still not thrown an interception. He is now five full games into his NFL career, and he has not thrown an interception. Longest streak in the history of the league. So obviously, his future looks bright. Carolina-Detroit, that is the battle of the Smith household because I have two sons, Jake and Aiden. Jake is a Panthers fan. Aiden is a Lions fan. Don't ask me how that happened because I'm a Steelers fan. Well, actually. It's pretty simple how that happened. I let them choose. I let them choose who they wanted to root for. And they both picked a cool cat, a cool jungle cat on the animal, on the helmet uh, of the team that they liked. And so the cool cat from Detroit won out over the cool cat from Carolina. So Aiden has bragging rights in the house right now. Tennessee and Indianapolis, the Colts uh, defeat the Titans, but Anthony Richardson gets hurt again. And he's now been injured uh, three times in his, in his uh, rookie season. He's only five games in. He's had to leave two of those games. And the Colts are really going to have to look at how they are utilizing him and whether or not they can find a way to keep him from taking and absorbing hits. Because he's a big, strong dude at 6'4", 240-some pounds. But the NFL pounding is a whole lot different than any other pounding you're ever going to take. And as far as preserving Richardson goes, Indy might need to, to get a little smarter with how they're running him. 
The Giants and, and Miami, uh, I mean, the Giants are bad. They're a bad football team. That 31-16 final was way, uh, it was very deceptive. It wasn't near that close. The Giants are now minus 91 on the season in terms of point differential over five games. That's that's an average. If you just average that out of they're losing, they're losing somewhere in the neighborhood of 18 by 18 points a game. Again, losing somewhere in the neighborhood of by 18 points a game. And that is just uh, a joke right now. So the Giants, man, whew, they are probably the worst team in football. And then the second worst team may be up in the next game, New Orleans against New England. New Orleans blanks New England 34 to nothing. The Patriots have been outscored 72 to three in their last two contests. And they're now minus 76 in terms of point differential on the season. Patriots are really looking uh, down the barrel, so to speak, of, of a miserable, miserable season and maybe the, the two worst teams in football. Baltimore Pittsburgh, that game. Uh, you want to talk about a deceiving score. The Steelers win that game 17 to 10. Baltimore dominated the first half. Uh, if it wasn't for about nine dropped passes, three of which would have would have been short touchdowns, the Ravens probably run away with that game. But the big takeaway from that game is it clutch Kenny, man. Clutch Kenny Pickett. Kenny Pickett, who has not been very good uh so far this season, continues to be great at the end of football games. He's now started 17 games, which is a complete NFL season. He's got five comeback wins in the fourth quarter in those first 17 games. And this is the second game in a row where he beat the Ravens with a big touchdown drive in the final two minutes. So while regular Kenny hasn't been very good, clutch Kenny late in the fourth quarter is a real thing. Philly and the Rams, uh, the Eagles are quietly 5-0. and they're, they're quietly 5-0, and oh. and there's a lot of people talking about their flaws and maybe the defense isn't as good as it was last year, and they haven't been that impressive, but they continue to win football games. If there's an under-the-radar 5-0 and oh team, I think Philadelphia is it. Cincinnati and Arizona, the, the big story out of that one, the Bengals get, the, get a big win there, is that Cincinnati is back. Joe Burrow looked really good. Jamar Chase had 180-some receiving yards, a spectacular day for him. But I'm going to withhold judgment on that one until I see Cincinnati against some better uh, quality opponents, particularly on the defensive side of the ball. They play Seattle next week. That'll be an interesting test for them. Maybe you'll learn more about the Bengals next week. Jets-Broncos, that, uh, that was the Nathaniel Hackett Revenge Bowl uh, where, where the Jets go out to Denver to play Hackett's former team. Uh, new Denver coach Sean Payton had made some public remarks in which he said that Hackett and his staff did the worst coaching job in NFL history last year in Denver. Uh, and the Jets took that personally. Robert Sala named, named Hackett a team captain for the game. And the Jets went and took care of business out in Denver. Uh, Denver, if we're, if we're going to complete the, uh, the, the, the trio of the league's worst teams, Denver probably joins the Giants and New England in that grouping. Kansas City, Minnesota. Kansas City kind of reminds me of the Eagles, right? They're four and one. They're, they had that opening day loss to Detroit to kick off the season. And since then, they've just sort of quietly been going out there about their business. They're not, they haven't been spectacular this year. Minnesota, who's not a very good team, pushed them. Uh, Kansas City reminds me of a team that is kind of like an NBA team that's going to go through the regular season 
not necessarily sleepwalking, but maybe not playing their best. But when crunch time comes, you'll see the real Chiefs emerge. Dallas and San Francisco on Sunday night. My gosh, was that a beat down? The 49ers are so good. For me, they're the best team in football, and I don't even think it's particularly close right now. And the reason they're the best team in football is because they're so physical. And that physicality sets up so many other things that they're able to do. They're able to do so many things on offense because of how physical they are up front. Uh, and they're and they're fast and physical on defense as well. Right now, San Francisco simply looks unbeatable. And then in the in the Monday night game, Green Bay and Las Vegas, that was a forgettable one for young Jordan Love, who was picked off three times, sacked four times, endured six quarterback hits. He'll probably need a, a big Epsom salt bath if that's still a thing. If people actually still do that, and uh, and then maybe uh, you know something to, to take his mind off of that one. He's going to have to move forward quickly and put that one in his rearview mirror. So one quick thought on every game from the weekend in our one quick thought segment, right? So, okay, let's, let's move on to one more segment before we take a break here. One more, one more reflection on week five. And this is a, this is a reflection on both week five, but really on the NFL in general. I noticed the other day when I was looking through some numbers that the scoring average per team over the last year and now five games is slightly down slightly down from where it had been in previous seasons. If you go back to 2018, the NFL scoring average per team was 23.3 points per game. So so NFL teams were averaging 23.3 points per game in 2018. In 2019, that figure was 22.8. In 2020, it went all the way up to 24.8. And in 2021, it was still fairly high at 23.0. But last year, in 2022, it came down a little bit over a point per game to 21.9. And this year it's right around in that range. It's at 22.2. So the 21.9 from 2022 and the 22.3 from this season is somewhere in the neighborhood of one to two, even two and a half points per game lower from the high of nearly 25 point games and the average of about 23 some points per game that we've seen over the NFL for the last five years or so. And I was asking myself, why? Why is that? And so I started just to look at what some teams are doing on defense. And uh, as I was watching the Sunday ticket games and flipping around, I was making some notes, reading some articles, and and just looking at uh, some, some trends in general. And I'll give you three trends right now, three defensive trends that have emerged in the NFL over the last year and a third or so, however far we are into the 2023 season, that are making a little bit of a difference, right? Not Again, we're not talking about scoring being rolled way back. But given the fact that the rules have changed so much to benefit offenses uh, in the last six, seven years, the fact that scoring is down even a little bit is kind of surprising. So why is it down? Okay, here are some of the defensive trends that have emerged in the league over the last couple of years that have contributed to that slight decrease in scoring. One of the big trends is this. Defenses are playing much more press coverage and cover zero than they had in recent seasons. And the, re- the reason for that is because offenses have really started to lean heavily on the quick game, right? The, the emphasis in the NFL right now is on getting the ball out of the quarterback's hand Quickly, And so what you're seeing is a lot of catch and throw out of the shotgun, a lot of three-step drop from under center, 
quick breaking routes. If you're playing some kind of an off coverage, some kind of a soft zone, NFL offenses today are just designed to eat that stuff up. So as a counter move, defenses now are just playing more and more press and more and more cover zero. I mean, you think about like Xavier Howard in Miami or Tariq Woolen in Seattle. Those guys are kind of like the quintessential press coverage corners. They get right up in the grill of the wide receivers. They're experts at the jam and run technique. They've learned how to get their hands off of guys because now you have the five-yard rule. You can't touch a receiver beyond that. And Miami and Seattle are two of the most aggressive teams in the league when it comes to employing both press and cover zero. Now, it can be a feast or famine coverage or, or, or tactic. And I, I think to the Baltimore-Pittsburgh game on Sunday, and you saw examples of each, with Baltimore winning that winning 10-8 to eight and about four minutes left in the fourth quarter, they had a third and goal on the Pittsburgh four-yard line. A touchdown there would have given them a two-score lead and probably won the game for them. And the Steelers came with an all-out six-man blitz and played press coverage across the board against Baltimore's receivers. And to the top of the field, you had Odell Beckham Jr. matched up against rookie Joey Porter Jr. with Porter Jr. in press coverage. The Steelers brought heat. Lamar Jackson had to unload the ball almost as soon as it hit his hands. And he underthrew the pass, and Joey Porter got around, picked it off in the end zone to keep Baltimore from scoring. The Steelers then took the ball over on their own 20-yard line, drove down the field, and on a second and nine play from the Baltimore 41 with just over a minute left, the Ravens pressed the Steelers in their own cover zero look. And they walked up on Pittsburgh's receivers and they walked their safeties down. Now this was riskier because the ball was on the 41 yard line and not the four. And there was a lot of field behind the defense to, to cover and Steelers quarterback, Kenny Pickett saw that tactic checked into a full slide protection up front and a go route to George Pickens on the outside, who was matched up uh, against Marlon Humphrey. And Pickens beat him clean. Pickett hit him down the sideline for a 41-yard touchdown. Steelers went on to win the game. So it can be a feast or famine tactic. But either way, we're seeing more and more press from teams in an effort to combat the quick passing game. Another, another strategy we're seeing defenses use is the five-man bear front. So for those of you who can picture what I'm about to describe, most NFL teams are in either a 3-4 base or a 4-3 base. The, the sub-package defense has become all the rage. So, so while you don't necessarily have seven defensive linemen and linebackers on the field, a lot of times you're in a 4-2-5 or a 2-4-5 with an extra D back there, the fronts often look the same. They're over or under fronts. An over front is a four-man front where the defensive tackles are kicked to the strength. Could be a tight end, could be an H back. But what you get on the on the front side, on the strong side, is you get a defensive end outside the tackle. That's called a five technique. Uh, a defensive end outside the tackle, that's a five. A defensive tackle outside the three, outside the guard, that's a three technique. A nose uh, on the backside shading the center, that's a one technique. And a backside defensive end outside the other offensive tackle. And that's another five technique. So you get a five, three, one, five. That's an, that's an over front. And then there's an under front where, where the inside players are, are switched. You get a front side one technique and a backside three uh, with, the, with the emphasis there you know, on kicking away from the strength. But the bare front, which we're seeing more and more of, 
is where the defense covers up everybody. They've got a nose, they've got two, three techniques, and they've got two, five techniques. And they're usually playing with just one linebacker in the box and probably two backers apexing just outside the box, apexing, meaning splitting the difference between the end man on the line of scrimmage and the first receiver in the slot. And the idea there is to just keep the linebackers clean and let them run to the football. The Philadelphia Eagles, for example, are probably the best team in the league right now at employing the bare front because they've got a a stellar defensive line and they want to keep their linebackers clean. They want to get their big boys up front to get their hands on offensive linemen, not let those offensive linemen climb to linebackers. With so many teams running zone schemes that rely upon offensive linemen being able to chip off of doubles at the first level and get up into the linebackers. The bare front, if you can run it, if you're good enough on the defensive line, is a really nice uh, counter to all those zone run games. So more teams are are running bare fronts uh, as a response to the zone run game in the NFL. And then lastly, this is not a new trend, but we're seeing more and more of it, are safety rotations. You're just seeing more teams line up in some kind of a two or three man shell on the back end of a defense and then rotate out of it post-snap or just prior to the snap in an effort to confuse quarterbacks. Some of the most common safety rotations we're seeing are cover two to cover three, where a defense has two safeties high, and then they're going to move one of them down at the snap, either into the middle of the field to be like a robber or into an alley to become a, a, a flat or hook curl defender. The opposite we're seeing, cover three to cover two, where teams line up with three deep, usually two safeties and a corner. And then they'll have some kind of a rotation where the corner comes down and the safeties kick over into half field. You're seeing cover one robber looks, which are, which are interesting. Sometimes you'll see a team aligned with, with two, two high. Uh, and they'll and they'll send one of the safeties down in into the middle of the field to be the rat or the robber, uh, and and their job is to simply disrupt crossing routes, uh, the mesh routes teams like the shallow cross, the Y cross, tight ends up the seam, all of those different things. So everybody locks on, and the safety just jumps down inside and and either locks on himself or becomes kind of like that robber, that cover one robber. Some teams call that cover seven, where you have a single high free safety, uh, a second player in the middle of the field disrupting all of the crossers, and everybody else locked on man-to-man. And so, again, this is not a new tactic, but you it's almost like you know you struggle to see just about any static coverage these days, where, where the defense lines up pre-snap, and then plays the coverage that it looks to be post-snap, right? It's not that often where you can just look at the defense as the offense is, is up on the ball and go, oh, cover two, oh, cover three. The, the frequency with which defensive coordinators are now rotating their safeties is greatly increased over previous years. So between the press and the cover zero, the, the coverage rotations into, into different looks, the bare fronts, and a host of other things, man, that you're seeing around the league, defenses are really trying to scheme it up to confuse offenses, take away the things that they're doing best, like the zone run game and the quick passing game, and make life harder. And and so far, while, again, the difference has not been significant, it's it's been effective. Points are down, even if, if just a little bit. Okay, so 
with that, we're going to take a break. And on the other side, back with us is going to be my man, Pez, who's been making picks for us all year long. And he, and he's been on a hot streak. Pez was 14, five and one heading into the week five games. We're going to check in with Pez, see how he did talk to him a little bit about the NFL in general. And we're going to talk about Pez who will be debuting his own podcast some uh, very soon. So we'll talk about all that on the other side. Come on back. Welcome back to the call sheet. Kevin Smith with you. And in the second segment of the show, we're going to bring in my buddy Pez, who has been our in-house gambling expert to this point in the season. And through the four, first four weeks of the season, Pez was killing it with a, with a 14 and five uh, record, 14, five and one picking games against the spread better than all the national guys. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit of football gambling here in just a minute. Pez, what's going on, my man? Good to have you back. How you doing, Coach? Thanks for having me back. Uh, four out of five weeks have been great. This last week, we got a little bit of the gambler's sting, and that's just part of the game. It's a war. It's it's not a battle, and we live to fight for another week this week and looking to get that money back in our pocket. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll talk about what happened in, in a minute, but before we do that, uh, let, let's pump up your new show, right? Pez is going to have his own podcast coming up entitled Pez's Picks and Insider's Look at Sports Gambling. And for those of you who, who love to bet the games, whether it's football or, or any other sport, it's going to be a really cool show in which uh, Bill gets to talk about some of the some of, of his insider information and how he goes about making his picks. Tell us a little bit about your new show, Pez. Well, it's exciting, Coach, to join the Fans First Network and have an opportunity to talk about gambling and putting plays in on sports. We're going to have a segment discussing NFL picks, uh, picks of the week, talk about some of the NFL teams we've, we've been watching and some of the trends that we're looking at in the league. And then the second segment is going to be an all-sports segment. Uh, this week we're going to focus on college football, a little baseball talk, and, and might have a couple other interesting plays that that we're going to be recommending people put in to enjoy their weekend and walk away with more money in their pocket at the end of the week than they started. Yeah. You were all over the Europeans beating the, beating the U S in the Ryder cup there. And uh, I know we don't talk other sports here on this show, but for those of you who have an, an interest in, in other sports and, and maybe making a play on some of those, that'll be a cool show uh, for everybody to check out. Pez's picks and insiders look at sports gambling. You'll be able to find that on all, everywhere you find that your FFSN podcast, whether it's Spotify or Apple. And uh, he'll be he'll be de- debuting his first show on Wednesday, and it should run Thursday or Friday of, of this week. So, all right. So yeah, we said you know you were you were hot, man. You were rolling along your first four weeks. You were crushing it. Hit a little bit of a speed bump this past week. What happened, Pez? Well, as you know, Coach, football is a uh... A tough thing to predict, as all sports are. I think this week we got a, a little bit of a reality check. There are some things in this league that are, are going to sound weird, especially somebody like yourself or anybody that's followed football. The New England Patriots are no longer a team you can count on. They're not a team you can count on to rebound after a tough loss. And Bill Belichick does not seem to have uh, his 
his finger on the pulse of this team for the first time in, in probably 20 years of me of watching football. Uh, they put up two donkeys in a row uh, after getting taken a beat down two weeks ago this week. They, they put up a similar week effort, and I'm not sure if they're too happy with the quarterback play and the defensive play that they're getting out of that team. And it, it appears to me that the Belichick era is coming to an end and, a, and kind of a sad ending for a guy that really dominated this league for a long time. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Um, I was going to ask you, and maybe we can do it now since you just mentioned the Patriots. I was going to ask you if, as we've gotten to this point in the season, five weeks in, are there, are there teams that you feel confident in now? And are there teams that you, that you just feel like you got to stay away from them because you just, you, you either can't depend on them or you don't know what you're going to get out of them. New England, I'm guessing is a team maybe that, you know, obviously you've soured on, but who, but who are some teams that you would feel comfortable betting on versus some that, that you might stay away from? Well, I mean, the old rules in gambling, New England never had two bad games in a row. And one of the other rules that we used to have in, in the gambling world up until recently was you could always bet against the Detroit Lions when you were in a jam. Since Barry Sanders left, I'm not sure that team is, has been a team that any gambler would be confident of putting action on. Uh, this season and, and starting last season, and I know we talked about it, Dan Campbell's made that team one of the top 10 teams, maybe top six, seven teams in the league. Uh, on both sides of the ball, they're controlling the game. They're getting great play out of golf, and they're they're a team that looks like a, a playoff team and a contender in some ways. I'm not how far uh, sure how far that that team can go, but the Lions, all of a sudden, are a team that you can count on, and I think that's a team that that is worth investing money in going forward, and, and as long as things keep progressing like they have been. Yeah, man, that's that's music to Aiden's ears, man. For for those of you who are listening, my my son Aiden and. Pez's son, Leo, are, are classmates together, and Aiden's a big Lions fan. Leo, I'm assuming Leo's an Eagles fan. Is he an Eagles fan, Pez? Well, of course. I mean, you know, he, he likes to live in the home, and uh, uh, we have a role that you, you have to bleed <laughs> Eagles green. Uh, that's the only role. And he, he was alive for their, their one and only Super Bowl, and, and I'm hoping that his luck keeps going, especially this year. That team's off to a, a great start. Uh, some tough games that that we've played against some tough opponents and, and worked out some wins without playing our best ball. I don't think we've had a complete game yet, the Philadelphia Eagles, and we're still on top of the league and still undefeated. So I'm a believer in that team and a believer we're, get, we're just getting better. Yeah. You know, I said in the first segment that uh, the Eagles are about as under the radar as you can be for a team that's 5-0. and But let me ask you this, man. You know, five weeks into the NFL season, you kind of get a you're starting to get a feel for who some of these teams really are. Does does the gambling get easier at this point in the season or, or does it get harder? What do you think? Well, uh, it, week by week, things things change. This past week, there were a lot of tough matchups. Um, that, that you usually would count on. Uh, even the Buffalo Bills. I mean, we took a loss against that team. They had a lot of injuries early on in the game. I don't know if you saw it, but guys were dropping left and right on the defensive side. And it was probably just a bad position. I'd hoped that Jacksonville had partied it up in Europe for, for the 10 days they were there. Uh, but they, they came and they played well, and they deserved that win. Um, each week, there are positions that teams 
are in that you can look for an advantage, whether that haven't been off a big win or a big loss or road games or coming off a bye week or going into a bye week. And those are things that we start to look for. Injury bugs, how teams are faring health-wise. And, you know, really it comes back down to the quarterback play too. Consistent quarterback play is going to make a team a more solid play than going against a team that, that's having iffy or turnover type of quarterback play. Yeah, for sure. It is a quarterback league. So, yeah, let me ask you one more question before we, we get to a couple of your picks. We're not, you're not going to give us the full slate this week because we don't want to steal the thunder from your new show, but you're going to give us a couple. Before before we do that, let me ask you this. It, it's it's amazing how good Vegas is, right? When, when you go up and down the lines, you look at the lines each week and then you look at the results, it's shocking how close they are. Right? What, do you, what do you think makes Vegas – so good what 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 is it just do they have a database of information like you're talking about that that allows them to to uh do this do they just have experienced people who who understand the pulse of the league why is vegas so good i think usually you could punch the numbers yourself and you could see where a lot of these lines are coming from um average points scored average points given up uh, strengths on offense or defense uh, what, what kind of averages is the team letting up uh, against the throw against the run and then they're going to throw in some intangible things like home or away uh, injuries um, there's there's maybe a half a point to a point of intangibles that are thrown in but aside from that they're they're banking these odds uh, and these lines on average and points scored and points allowed and and the health of the team um at times, you'll see a star player go down and the line not move too much, which is something that we look for in the gambling world that that might mean that a, a team might be still worth a play or maybe even worth even more. And and those are little things that you look for, having had experience winning and losing money and, and watching how these things work out. But Vegas knows how to put that line in a position to get action on both sides of the ball. And, and that's really what they're looking for. They're... They don't want 80 or 90% of the action coming in on one team. They'd prefer it more down the middle and losers have to pay juice. They have to have to pay 10 to 20% of their bet that they're putting in. And, and that's what Vegas is really banking on. They don't want to gamble Vegas. They'd like it 50% on each team in each game and then collecting the juice and all the action that they, they promote and that they stimulate to setting those lines and moving them through the week. And that's really kind of what you have to look for. I like looking at the opening line. And you, you see how lines might move throughout the week, as long as it's not an injury or some sort of situation happening with the team, whether it be a trade or a coaching position, then you tend to look for, at times, I, I look to bet against the public, to be honest with you. I know that Vegas, uh, the Bellagio, if you haven't been, they have gold toilets, coach. Uh, I've seen them. Uh, to, to have a gold toilet for the public means that you're winning more than you're losing. And... And I, I tend to, to go with Vegas and, and go with kind of looking inside the lines and looking less for the more popular plays and more for what makes sense based on the numbers and the data. Hmm. All right. So, yeah, then let's let's get to it, man. Uh, give me uh, you're, you're going to give us two picks for this week that you really like. Uh, overall, man, your record's still excellent. 15, nine and one better than all the national guys. And hmm. uh, and you're going to you're going to do a whole bunch of picks on your show later this week but give us give us a couple right now just a little a quick little teaser before we wrap things well, up here. well go based on what we talked about earlier uh one of my plays i like this week a lot are the detroit lions laying three 
on the road in Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay coming off a bye week, which could be an advantage. But I, I, I tend to wonder, is Baker Mayfield sitting home for the last two weeks wondering, am I really this good? Am I really a, a starting quarterback that can win in this league and win big games? And we're going to find out this week. Uh, I think the Lions, given three on the road, are a better bet. Goff has played fantastic. Uh, Amon St. Brown looks to be returning and hopefully healthy. David Montgomery's averaging 4.2 yards a carry. He has six TDs on the season. And that with a with a St. Brown and a Goff offense is, is a tough offense to stop. Goff, nine TDs to three picks on the year. He's averaging 253 yards a game. Uh, quarterback rating of 104 through five weeks. And that's that's pretty solid for the NFL. Pretty solid for, for that guy having been through switching teams coming from the Rams. And and he looks to be a starter and a star in this league again. Bucks are giving up 243 yards against the pass, which bodes well for Goff. Lions still, quietly, a, a really solid defensive team. Only giving up 68 yards a game to the run, third best in the league. And, and the Bucks are having trouble running the ball. Uh, they're, they're averaging under 90 yards, I think 87 yards a game. And I think that, that puts more pressure on Baker Mayfield, which I'm going to take and – and I'm, I'm going to take the money with Detroit and the Lions coming in hot, which they have been maybe one of the hottest teams in the league, probably them in San Francisco and the Eagles right now. Mm, yeah. Okay. I love the Lions pick, man. I really like I, what Dan Campbell's doing there. They're exciting to watch. Just having the Lions be good is fun because it's just like, it's, it's just not been a thing for the last 25, 30 years, but all right, give us one more before we get out of here. Well, we're going to go with a total go with a over the number of 48 the Cardinals and Rams game um, I think this time of the season five six weeks in you can start looking at teams and amount of points they're putting up and the amount of points that they're they're allowing Stafford's due for a big game uh, he had he had so far he's had a good year with Nakua and getting Cooper Cup back I watched him shred the birds last week in the first half at least eight catches for 12 uh, on 12 targets for Cooper Cup. I I, I don't know how you stop Cooper Cup and Nakua. Uh, Stafford's arm still has a lot of zip in it, and that team looked like they had a lot of fight in it, even though the Eagles worked it out in the end. Cardinals are giving up 275 yards a game against the pass, 27 points a game for the Cardinals. I mean, that's a lot of points to be given up. It, it, it appears that that team's kind of started the bus a little early on this season. We're hearing that there's trade rumors coming out with Kyler Murray maybe getting dealt to another team coming off his knee injury. Josh Dobbs, quarterback in for Arizona, is playing for his life right now. I like a quarterback in that position. It's a little less pressure, especially when they're losing most of the time. He can go out there and throw that ball around and try to prove that he deserves that job. So we're going to go with the over. It's gone up a couple points since uh, the, the line opened. I think it's about 48 right now. I'd feel comfortable taking that play anything under 50. Once you get over 50 on a, a, a total, that's a big number to hit. Uh, I, I'd say 48, 49 would be the number that we're looking for to, to wager on the over in that game. All right, man. I love it. Love it. Taking, stepping out and uh, not betting the spread. That's the first, uh, the first over under you've given us. So that'll be something to watch for, man. So, uh, Pez, big bounce back week for you. Big debut week uh, with your new show. Going to be exciting to follow it all, man. Appreciate you coming on again and uh, looking forward to, to seeing how all this plays out. 
Well, it, it, the gambling's a fight, Coach, like football is. And as a, a gambling Hall of Famer, uh, Roy McElvoy, a.k.a. the Tin Cup, said, you ride the horse till she bucks you, you get up, you get back on, you ride her again. And that's what we're doing this week. We are not going at a loser. We're going to get that money back in our pocket, and we're looking for a 4 or 5-0 and a week this week in the NFL. Yeah, let's go, man. Love the confidence. So, all right. So that's another episode of the call sheet, episode 26 to be exact. I uh, hope everybody has a great week ahead. Good luck with the, your teams, your, your, your picks, your fantasy teams, your gambling, whatever it is. It's amazing what an empire football has become in the United States, how it keeps everybody so engaged. So have a great week, everybody. For Bill Pezda, I'm Kevin Smith. This has been the call sheet. Take care.